for you. This Wednesday, we're actually having our Ash Wednesday service at 7 p.m. This is going to be such a special night together as we begin our Lenten journey toward Easter together. We're actually going to be going through what our vices are and how we can turn those into virtues to become more like Jesus. If you have children between the ages of two years old and fourth grade, we would love for them to join us for a special Kids Ash Wednesday programming. Please visit our website for more information and for registration. Parents, you have been patiently waiting and I am so excited to tell you, Camp Grow is back. Mark your calendar for June 21st through the 24th as an opportunity for your elementary children to join us as we unravel the mysteries of Jesus, growing their faith and serving others. If you have preschoolers, we didn't forget about you. Join us starting July 13th every Wednesday. We are gonna have Clubhouse Fun Days with a new theme each week. Look for registration for both of these events starting later this spring. Do you enjoy making people feel welcome? Then our hospitality team is just for you. We are currently in need of parking lot attendants, online hosts, and greeters. If you think this is an opportunity for you, please visit our website. You guys, next week we are starting our 40-day fill-up again, and that marks one year that our Fairfax Resource Center has been open. I can't even begin to explain to you what an amazing year this has been and how much God has used this resource center in the life of our church and in our community. So we actually just put together this video to share with you guys all that God has done so that you can get a glimpse of what we get to see every day on a daily basis. So enjoy. Church, the Lord has told us what is good, and this is what he requires of us, to act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Micah 6.8. What would it mean for our church to be a center for those in need of kindness and justice? What if our church closed the doors? Would there even be an impact in our community? This is the question that we asked ourselves. And now, impacting our community is the mission of the Resource Center. And a year later, we're supporting those that are serving some of the most vulnerable children and families in Fairfax County. Over the years, I've read a lot about Afghanistan and I developed a true fondness for its people. So when the evacuation started, I contacted Valerie Nolan and asked her if the church was helping. It turns out that she was helping unaccompanied minors that were coming in and needed new clothing and hygiene products. So I rushed to Target on my first shopping mission. There would be many after that. We also put together uh, food boxes for them, familiar foods that they can make at home. The Resource Center is involved in so many different projects and you get back tenfold compared to what you give or what you serve. The Resource Center has also, over the past two Christmases, provided Christmas gifts for our teen moms and their babies. All 36 of them, they are just blown away when we get to give them uh, Christmas gifts when they may not receive that many or any. These frontline mission workers serve our community and are advocating for not just one or two families, but they're advocating for all of us. And they need our care and our love and our kindness, and most importantly, our prayers. It's been wonderful to just know that I'm not alone trying to help this large family, that I can rely on the resource center, on, on the community, and it wouldn't have been easy for me to help them if it hadn't been for the church. 
and the resource center. There is such high physical need that we recognize that without meeting those physical needs first, we can never really earn the right to share the gospel with them. And so having the resource available to us allows us to, to meet those physical needs and then earn the right to share about the love of Jesus with our teen moms. We started out small with new people coming in each week and then people stay. And now we have this community, this family that we check on each other, we look after each other, we care for each other. And it's just such a great place to be. Since we opened our doors in 2021, we have served hundreds of families and seen countless needs met in only ways that God could provide. We have 994 people as a part of our volunteer hub for Love Your Neighbor projects. It has truly only been through generous donations and hours put in by our rockstar volunteers that we are making an impact. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Fairfax. God has truly done great things. And we celebrate and we reflect with you on all that he has done. And this is really only the beginning. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do with the Resource Center. Good morning, Fairfax. It's good to be back. Wow. Wow. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, um, a lot of people have been asking, like, how I'm doing. And, you know, I was here over a month ago and kind of shared the diagnosis. For those of you that maybe you're not aware, uh, I think most of you are, that January 10th, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, which it just means that it's cancer that has moved beyond the lung itself. And uh, that was seven weeks ago. I was just going back... And some amazing, um, I just got to tell you, some amazing things have happened in the last seven weeks. Uh, and one of them is that they did genetic testing, which is amazing, all the things that they can do now and the advances with cancer research. And they did genetic testing on the kind of cancer that I had, which is non-small cell lung cancer, and uh, identified a genetic mutation that's called ALK. You can Google that if you want to kind of find out more about that. But uh, it's probably the best news that I could have possibly gotten because uh, only about 5% of the people in the world that have non-small cell cancer have this particular genetic mutation. And um, they have um, created some, developed some treatments for this particular uh, for ALK that uh, over the last five years that are FDA approved and uh, have been incredibly effective. And uh, so four weeks ago, a little over four weeks ago, I started uh, the treatment on that, using that, a, a treatment that's been designed to deal with this. Um, 
It's a pill that I take. Um, I, feel, I feel great, no side effects from that, uh, no uh, like typical chemotherapy that I know a lot of folks and many of you, my wife uh, had to go through it. I know how hard that can be. Um, I feel like my uh, lung strength is, uh, is, getting, is getting stronger. I'm walking four to six miles a day. Uh, I, just feel, I just feel fantastic. And um, uh, my voice has kind of has come back, and maybe not all the way, but is getting there. And, uh, and so I'm in the midst of some testing right now. Some of you that have walked the cancer journey, you know that it's a journey, and there are ups and downs and all of that. But I'm in the middle of some tests right now that will kind of identify exactly how things are going. And some of those tests have already come in. The results of those, they're incredibly encouraging. And so we're just really, really thankful for that. And, uh, and because of that, um, I'm going to be back in the pulpit next week as we start. Yeah. So we, we start this uh, Lenten series next week, and uh, I'm just so thankful that I get to be a part of it and get to be part of just worship. It just, you don't know how it feeds my soul just to be here today and just to worship with you today. I've been worshiping online, and that's awesome. And I know a lot of you have to worship online, and, and that's just part of how you engage. But there's something about being present that is just different and just feeds my soul. And so it's so great to be with you. I'm filled with gratitude. I told you over a month ago that the, the two things that kind of described how I was feeling was gratitude and, and hopeful, just incredibly um, thankful and, and hopeful. And I continue to be both of those. I continue to be very, very hopeful and uh, very grateful, very grateful, uh, grateful for all the advances that have been made in cancer research and treatment. Like the, the statistics are that over the last five years, there's been more advancements made in cancer research than in the previous 50 years. Think about that. And uh, all of the stuff they're able to do genetically and all that's been in the last five years. Very, very grateful for my medical team, amazing medical team. Very grateful for my family and uh, the support of my family, the support of the staff, the support of our advisory councils. They've walked through this whole thing with me. So grateful and so grateful for you. So grateful for this community that has just bombarded me with prayers and support. You've just been so faithful. And I get, get communication all the time of folks who are saying, hey, our small group's praying for you. Hey, we pray for you every day. Um, hey, I fast every, Thursday, uh, every Tuesday and pray for you. I mean, just like I have been surrounded, surrounded by your prayers. And I'm just so grateful for that. And so grateful, I just gotta tell you, for just the practical acts of kindness that you all have done, and I feel really spoiled at times in, in the way that you've responded, but just so thankful for that. And um, above and beyond all of that, just grateful to God for the, the manifestation of his grace just in my life. And you know, I've been thinking a lot, you know, over these last seven weeks about you know, how we pray, and, and I know that whatever it is that's going on in your life, there's usually some big thing that's going on where you're like, you're praying for like the big miracle, right? And you're praying for God to do the big miracle in your life. And I've been praying for the big miracle as it relates to this 
cancer, and I know a lot of you are praying for the big miracle as it relates to this and this being taken away and all of that. And of course, you know, in the light of praying for the big miracle is the reality that the, the big, big miracle is the one that we're going to celebrate in six weeks, the resurrection. Like in the resurrection, like the resurrection is victorious over all manner of disease, including stage four cancer. The resurrection is victorious over death. The resurrection is victorious over darkness. Like the resurrection is victorious over all of that. And so, you know, we focus on the big, big miracle of the resurrection. And then we pray for the big miracle of of something to be taken away, the eradication of that. I'm praying for that. You're praying for that. Please continue to pray for that. But sometimes in the midst of looking at the big, big miracle and praying for the big miracle that we miss the miracles along the way. And I think one of the things I've been so overwhelmed by in the last seven weeks are all the miracles, all the manifestations of God's grace that I have already experienced, that I have already lived out. And I just don't want to miss those miracles that God is performing in my life along the way. And they have been so many, and I am so unbelievably grateful uh, for that. And so it's great to be with you today. And it's really great to be able to introduce uh, our guest speaker today. We, we've had just some amazing, amazing communicators over the last eight weeks that uh, some from outside of our congregation, some from our staff and that have just fed our soul. And our guest speaker today is uh, Pastor Jeremy Dixon. And uh, Jeremy has spoken here before. He's a friend of Fairfax. Uh, pastor Jeremy is the pastor of the Center of Hope in Los Angeles, uh, California. And uh, he is an unbelievable uh, communicator. I think the best communicator that we have in our movement, in our denomination. He's sought after nationally to speak. He's gonna be speaking at the International Youth Convention this year, and he speaks to so many places. And uh, we're just so thankful to have him. And Jeremy is also, it's interesting that we saw that video about the Resource Center because uh, Valerie Nolan and Brooke Luther for the last year have been participating in something called the C4 Institute, which is really helping folks to think through how to have impact as a church in their community. And Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy, is one of the faculty members and has been the, one of the people speaking in to the life of our church in ways that you know most of you wouldn't even be aware of. And, uh, and then the other big thing with Pastor Jeremy is that Jeremy's just such a dear friend and uh, is, has been walking with me through this unique journey that I've been on over the last few months and uh, is one of the guys that I can talk to about things that truly I cannot talk to anyone else about. We have, I was saying in the first service, we have some of the weirdest conversations, uh, you know, just talk about things that if I told you what all of them were, you wouldn't allow me to be your pastor anymore. But anyway, uh, but just one of those people, you know, all of us have folks in our lives that we feel like we can be pretty honest with and pretty candid with. And Jeremy's one of those individuals in my life. And, and I'm just so thankful for his friendship. And I'm so thankful uh, for him to be uh, with us today. So would you give Pastor Jeremy Dixon just a huge Fairfax welcome as he comes up. 
the last one. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> Thanks so much. I told the first crowd that if Rod wanted to hear me preach, he didn't have to fabricate an illness. <sighs> I would have just shown up. All he has to ever do is call. And, and I know he's told me several times that whenever I speak for him, he always has the last word because he'll come up at the end and close service. But as he was talking about our friendship, I was thinking to myself, I got some old friends, man. I just... <laughs> We're so close and yet so far away. Age-wise, I mean. I know that's coming back to me a little bit later, but uh, we got to do. All right, so, I, so here's the deal. I want to do a couple of things. One, I want to let you know that like many of you, our church is praying for Pastor Rob and praying for you all. That, that we're like a number of churches around the globe that are really praying for Pastor Rob and praying for you all as you walk through this season. Number two, I need to say to you, I, feel, I felt really, really impressed during worship to have a special time of prayer as I close my, my sermon. So I'm going to teach through some of this information, and then I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to pray uh, for, of course, for pastors, but I'm going to pray for, for many of you. Um, I, just, I just felt that during worship. When, when they were singing, let heaven come, God was talking to my heart and about just the kingdom coming um, in us. I just want to, I want to lean into that. And I want to be true and not quench the spirit in that regard. All right. Are you ready? ready? Let me pray for you really quickly. And then we'll get into the word. Father, we thank you because every single time, Lord, we are gathered in your name with other people who also love you. It feels different. We worship alone. We can pray alone. We meditate alone. We study the word alone, but it's something so powerful about being with other of like precious faith, that it just, it just gives us such energy, and we're so grateful for the fellowship and for the gift, Lord God, of the church and the saints. And I just submit this moment to you that you, Lord God, would speak through my mouth, that we would hear some sacred truth that might propel us into the next phase of our destiny. We show up, Lord God, ready, anticipating, Lord God, that we might uh, be challenged and transformed and encouraged, Lord God. And so, Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Now, I pray that you would give me a clear voice that everything I say can be easily understood and applied immediately. And I thank you for these things in the strong name of Jesus. And the church shouts amen. amen. Oh, it sounds good to me. So here's what I want to do. I, my assignment in, in, the, in the next few minutes that I have is to talk from this, this idea of rejoicing. This, this idea of adoration, of praise, of thanksgiving, um, just to encourage you um, really from two vantage points. One is the fact that we, we owe thanksgiving to God, right? I mean, that he's entitled to our thanksgiving. But I also want to suggest toward the end of our conversation the evangelistic nature of our praise in that to the extent that we honor God and we magnify him for his goodness and his mercy and all the ways he manifests his glory in our lives, that it becomes um, an opportunity for us to make his name great in the earth. And I want to kind of unpack a bit of that. And I want to give you kind of in the in-between. Now, I didn't give my title. Why did my clock start? I got... I thought when I say my title, then my time starts. 
I had about 25 more minutes before I said my title. Anyway, now, thank you for resetting the clock. Look at there. Such a, such a great church. All right. So here's my title. My title is Join the Parade and Action. All right. Join the parade. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to preemptively, for some of you, what will feel like preemptively to honor and to celebrate and to rejoice uh, because of the finished work of God in the earth but in your life. And I'm going to invite you into a place to recognize what he has done already. He's already overcome, and we are the beneficiaries of this great work. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of what God has done and the ways in which we participate in celebrating what God has done in our lives. Fair enough? Okay, so when I was a child, I'm from L.A., Los Angeles, California. When I was a child, I used to attend um, the, the, the Tournament of Roses Parade. I would do it uh, almost every year as a child. We, we used to have in our church every uh, December 31st, we'd have uh, our watch night service, and then my father would put us in the car. We'd drive up to my uncle's house in Pasadena. We'd spend the night there, and then early in the morning, early, early in the morning, we'd go out there, and we'd line the streets like so many others to watch the parade. It'd be nice and cold and brisk, not Washington cold, not VA cold, LA cold, you know, low 70s. You understand what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. little, little frigid, right? A little frigid in L.A. And, and we watch, and we would be enamored with this because we'd see all of the beauty and splendor of all of these, you know, floats that would go by and all these roses and flowers. And I would be amazed at how they'd make flowers look like things. And, and, but, but the most exciting part was when the horses would come out. And I didn't know the technical name until a young lady in the first service put me up on game. Because the horse would do something called the Spanish trot. Ah. And it's when, you know, they kind of raise their hooves kind of high and they trot through the streets. And we would be so amazed to see these huge, these Clydesdales, these huge horses kind of marching through the streets. And it was an amazing thing. And the people who were in the parade would be excited. And those of us who were watching would be excited. And as I was reading this text, it reminded me of that because I believe when I'm about to read to you, Really, you know, I can contextualize with, with something that happened during the time in which this text was written. So, go in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and let me read verses 14 through 16 to you. Here's what it says. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him, 15. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God, discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the latter, one an aroma from death to death, a fatal and offensive odor, but to the other an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh, and who is adequate and sufficiently qualified for these things. Now, in this text, what the Apostle Paul is doing for us is actually painting a picture that would have been familiar to those of that time. And many of you might understand what I'm saying. It's when a conquering group would return from their conquests. And upon the victory of what has taken place, they would march back into the city to an enormously grand parade. There'd be people who are lining the streets excited that their conquering one had come back home victorious. And as he walks or he's upon his beast through the streets, he'd have with him those who went on campaign with him. 
He'd also have those that were brought back as captives who transferred or who came back with him. And, and then there would be those who bore incense. I'm not sure how they were designed, but these incense would be in the parade. And they would emit this fragrant smell. They would even cast flowers at the feet of those who marched. And as, as these horses or the beasts or even the men began to walk, they would trample upon these flowers and the mixture of the incense and the mixture of the fragrance that comes from these trampled flowers would send out a scent all around the city. It was the smell of victory. The Apostle Paul pens this text, I believe, as an invitation for us to recognize that our conquering king has returned victorious and we are to witness that we are also in this parade with him. He starts by saying, thanks be to God. And let me suggest to you that even before I get to the main points and divisions of this conversation, you ought to start with a place of thanksgiving. I heard a preacher say one time, we enter into his courts or his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. In fact, it shouldn't take anybody having to encourage you or pump you up or prime you, but you should be giving God praise right now just because he's good and worthy to be praised. When I look at this text, the Apostle Paul says, thanks be to God. The one who always, in some translations, causes us to triumph or who causes us to walk with him in triumphal victory. And, and I want to suggest that some contention has arose based on this, this reading. Some suggest that when we talk about this, we see ourselves as those who are part of the campaign, walking with Christ victorious as he is. And some suggest that we are the captives who were led bound in the streets, walking because he has conquered where we were and has brought us out as captives. The truth is, I think it's all of it. I think when you look at this text, there are several positions. In fact, three specific ones I want to highlight for you that are emblematic of what you and I are experiencing in this life as a part of the parade in the kingdom of God as our king, the Christ, is moving about the city. And the first I want to talk about is the idea of being captives. It is this recognition that the reason that we can still say thanks be to God and still praise as ones who are captives, because we are not captives as others may see captivity. But when our king, when Christ the king came and did violence to the enemy and brought us out of captivity to that which we were in, we were redeemed. And our captivity is one that is filled with joy. See, we were bound by sin and damnation, bound by habits, bound by our past, bound by all sorts of things that had dominion over us. But when Christ came to conquer the enemy, he brought us out from captivity into captivity. But the slavery that we had to that which had no eternal value was keeping us bound and restricted. But when we became the captives of Jesus, we became victorious. And so we are full of life and joy and peace and though we are slaves, we are slaves to an amazing God. You ought to give God a shout right there. <laughs> Scripture teaches us over and over again. In fact, in Romans 6 and 22, it says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. Even in, on our, like we thought that, listen, I know, listen, we thought that sin felt good and it was great. We enjoyed the life on some level, having no idea that the way that seemed right to man led to destruction. 
And so we reveled sometimes in the damnation that comes in separation from God. But thanks be to God that Christ came and set us free and brought us out. And though we are slaves to him, we are the best slaves in the world based on the fact that our God does a work in us that nothing else on earth can do. So yes, I am a captive in the parade of God, but I'm a captive with a smile on my face and with joy in my heart because I've got more freedom now than I ever had before. Is there anybody in the house that can testify that though you are a servant of God, your servitude is full of joy and life and peace and freedom? We are the most free captives on the world, in the world. Ones who are bound by this great love, who are held by this great God, who found freedom in our submission, who find, we find peace in our servitude, we, we find joy in our surrender. So yeah, we're in the parade. We, we might be shackled to the king, but those shackles are shackles of freedom and shackles of goodness and shackles of joy and shackles of peace. And I am more free now than I ever was when I was without him. But number two, what scripture shows us is that we're not simply captives, but I believe we also are conquerors. In fact, Scripture tells us that we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. See, my sense about this is that we are in Christ, therefore we get credit for everything that he did. See, see the, the liberty, the freedom, the victory is imputed into us in our connection to Christ. That means whatever campaign he was on, whatever victory he won, though he had to fight the battle, I get the victory because I'm inside of Christ Jesus. And that's something to be excited about because there are several things I want you to notice about the victory that he brings. Now, I'm going to tell you something, family. On my way here, I thought to myself, you know, I watched when Pastor Jake was here. I watched when Pastor Matt was here, and I was like, they're around just walking, talking, and holding the Bible and making points. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go down. I'm going to behave myself. I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be real. You know how Jake was. He's just like pointing, you know, hey, just what Jesus said. And Matt's like, you know, God says this. You know? You know how they are, right? They're real. You know, you know they're just real cool. I'm, I'm like, hey, everybody, let's party! And I was like, I'm going to be real calm, but I ain't got no calm in me. I tried. But when I look at this king, this Christ who allows for me to step into him and get credit for everything he did, it excites me. Because here's what I know about Christ, is that he has victory over sin. He has victory. Listen, family. He's got victory over sin. He's got victory over the bondage of sin and victory over the consequence of sin. That means I don't care what had you bound, what habit had you held up, what hang-up had authority over you. When you stepped into Christ, you are no longer subject to the habit of sin, the bondage of sin. You can have freedom in Christ Jesus. That's not a thing that Satan can do that can cause you to walk in, um, um, in cross-purposes with the plan of God, but you have freedom and you have authority over everything that had authority over you. That's 
why you don't have to subject yourself to the things that you once did. You don't have to live in cross purposes with what you once did. You don't have to be the person that is, that is kind of subject to the, to the wiles of the devil and operating in the things that were antithetical to the plan of God. But when Christ beats sin, he beat it for you if you will step into him. The Bible says that if you walk after the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is only made available because of what Christ did. Are you sensing what I'm saying? He didn't just beat sin, no. He beat sickness. That means every single disease. That means every single malady or dysfunction, the Spirit of God has given us the right to have authority over sickness. The Bible says he sends his word and heals all of our diseases. The Bible tells us that healing is the children's bread, and these signs will follow them that believe. They will lay their hands on the sick, and y'all in the building with me right now, and they would recover. We believe by faith that what Christ has done, the great victory that Pastor Rod talked about on that cross when he said it was finished was an opportunity for you and I to say that means sickness has no dominion over me. That means pain has no dominion over me. That means disease has no dominion over me. There's not a demon in hell that can stop what God is doing in my life because Christ already finished the work. You sense what I'm saying? But it's not just sickness in our bodies. The Spirit shows us that he also has defeated the sickness of our hearts and our minds, the anxiety, the worry, the doubt, the defeat, the fear. For many of us, we find ourselves, maybe we're not in a place of physical harm or physical challenge, but our minds are in knots. Our hearts are in turmoil. But the Bible tells us, in Isaiah 53, it says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There is a promise that we have that because of the work of Christ, as this conquering king walks in victory, because I am in Christ Jesus, I can lay hold to every promise that was made available, and anything that he beat, I've beat in Jesus' name. What the word, the word of God says in uh, John 16, is, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have already overcome the world. Now, you got to get this, fam. In the moment you are in, you might recognize that your senses are picking up the reality that you are in. And you might be tempted to reason your existence through the lens of your senses. But what scripture says to me is this. Though in this world you have trouble, I'm at the end of this world. And because I'm already at the end and have beat the condition, that means you have authority now, even though you still feel the issue in your life. And this is why we can preemptively praise God. I don't have to wait till the battle is over. I can shout right now because I know that the same God that made me has completed the work and though I might not see the manifestation right now, I believe by faith that everything God made available is mine in Jesus' name. That making sense to you, family. He doesn't just, doesn't just beat sin and sickness, but even he beats death. In fact, I think that Christ made it his business to associate himself with dead things that he might make a point 
time and again, we see him entering into situations, in fact, some of which that he waited until they were dead, till he got involved. You remember when Mary and Martha come to Jesus? They say, your friend Lazarus, he's in trouble. Come now. Jesus says, I'll be right there. Don't you hate when God does not rush based on your timeline? Like you have a time frame that you're like, hey, listen, Lord, the, the, the deadline is here. If you can show up a little bit early, we can work it out before we have to get to that dark place. And Christ is like, no, 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 I'll be there. When? When I get there. Anybody have those kind of friends in your life? When you're coming, I'll be there when I get there. That's how Jesus was. He's like, I'll show up when I show up. But the Bible shows me that when he gets to Lazarus' tomb, as he arrives at that place, Lazarus is already dead. In fact, he's been dead for three days. And they did what you and I would do. They took their finger and they put it in Jesus' face. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And I love how Christ handles uh, the, the descent of those who don't have enough faith to trust him in the waiting. He just begins to pray, and then he tells them, roll the stone away. And then he calls forth for Lazarus, and Lazarus comes hopping out of that tomb because God is the type of God that can even resurrect dead things. He went to the girl's house. He got tied up because the woman with the issue of blood needed to pull on his glory. They were trying to rush him to the girl's house. Remember that dead little girl? who was not dead at first, but because Christ was delayed, she ended up dying. And when he walks in, they laugh at him because he said, don't worry, y'all, she's just asleep. They scoffed at him, calling him delusion. What did he do? He said, get out the house. I don't want no doubt around me. And he spoke to that child and said, daughter, arise. And that little girl came back to life at the voice of God speaking over her. He walked past, my goodness, a funeral possession and touched the casket and the child came back to life. Do you understand that you serve the type of God that not even death can stop him? But can I go a little bit further? He even said of himself, I'll lay this body down, but in three days I'll pick it back up. And when he picked it back up, he had all power in heaven and earth. Is there anybody in the house besides me? And the same God that has that power is saying that power belongs to you. In fact, the word of God tells me, is there anybody in the house? It says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. That's why the devil can't have Rod's body, because the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of him. He's the God that can even bring dead things back to life. Some of you are in this room right now, and you've got some dead things that you've been preparing a funeral for. You've been eulogizing your relationships, eulogizing your careers, eulogizing your hopes and your dreams, the things that you once believed would be possible, eulogizing your children. You've been so afraid because it's gotten so much darker. It feels like what you once hoped and believed for is now too far gone. It's too dark. It's too, too removed. But God is saying, I'm the God of dead things. I'm the God that can bring back. I'm the God of resurrection. I'm the God that can save what you think is beyond repair. I'm the God that can go into the places that feel too dark for you and snatch back from the clutches of death that which you've given up on. God is saying, I'm the God of the resurrection. That's why you ought to join the parade. That, that's why you ought to praise God now and ought to rejoice because there's nothing too far, 
nothing too dark, nothing too far gone, nothing too broken, nothing too beyond repair. My God is the type of God that looks at everything and says, I stepped out on nothing and made everything, and if I have to, I'll come back and make it again. He's the God that can do anything. And Satan is trying to play with your emotions. He's trying to get you infatuated, captivated, enraptured by what you see. He's trying to show you how bad it is. He keeps showing you the numbers and the metrics and what the attorneys say, what the doctors say, and what the scan shows and what the imaging shows. But God's saying, don't fix your eyes on what you see, but fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on my glory. Fix your eyes on my goodness and watch how I turn your situation around. He's the God that is not intimidated by dead things. You got some things that you feel like you, you missed your moment, that, that, that you had a, a box or a window, and somehow now you miss it. God is saying, I'm the God for that too. This is why you ought to join the parade. Number one is because you are joyously captive. Number two is because you are a conqueror through him that loves you. Here's, a, here, here's the last but not least. I got nine minutes and 34 seconds. So we got to work, y'all. Because I got to pray for y'all too, all right? So pay attention. This is a good point I'm about to make. Now, I do need to confess that I don't like what I titled this point because it's a shameless alliteration. You know how preachers do? You want to have all C's or all B's or all... So then you got like, to like reach for words to make them fit because you're trying to... So, of course, number one is, is captive. That's a C. Number two is conqueror. That's a C. This is so embarrassing. Number three is cologne. Now, just hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. Go back to verse 15. Watch what it says in verse 15 of, of 2 Corinthians uh, 2. It says, For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God, discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the latter, an aroma from death to death, fatal, offensive odor, but to the other, an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh and who is adequate and sufficient, sufficiently qualified for these things? Here's what I want to suggest to you. I would have to imagine that in the time in which this would have happened in real time, that even people who couldn't see the parade could smell the scent. Even those who weren't close enough to perceive what was happening would know that victory was in the air. Because the scent, the fragrance, the cologne. <laughs> Just... Let's just move past it like it didn't happen. In fact, in your notes, if you put cologne, tell people that it was your idea, not mine. I don't want credit for that. But those who weren't even close enough to perceive were attracted to the space because the scent, it called for them. Why? Because here's the deal. I believe that your victory, that your success, the power of God manifests in your life, sends out a scent of revelation. It, for those who are looking, searching, wondering, far from God, seeking to be in some way, you know, connected to something larger, something sustaining, something that is empowering, they smell your life. The ones who are not coming to your Ash Wednesday service, who are not going to join Pastor Rod for the Lenten uh, 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 series. The people who won't walk in this building, who will never put a tag on the cross, who won't come up for prayer. The ones who will never hear this incredible worship. They can smell your life. And this is why I the text says to us, let your light so shine before men that people will see your good works and do what? 
Glorify your Father in heaven. This is why the doctrine of defeat is one I don't subscribe to. I don't believe that somehow God can only get victory from our lives when everything is broken and in shambles. I think God wants you to win. He wants you to be on top. And I'm not talking about in some self-grandizement type of way. But I'm talking about through the lens of us enduring hardship like good soldiers and seeing the manifestation of God's glory and power. And as we move into a place of success, having endured hardship, God says, let them see your life. Let them see, even as we watch Christ walk the Via Dolorosa in his passion, and he is whipped and scourged, and he hangs on the cross, hands are pierced, feet are pierced, spear in his side, crown of thorns on his head. Yet there comes a day after being in that tomb that he comes back and ascends with all power. This is the redemptive narrative that you and I are seeking to imitate. That though we walk through hardships and difficulties, and our hearts are broken at times in life. And we, like Christ, may be hanging on the crosses of our lives saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not the end of our story. There's a comma after the conversation. And the narrative continues. And the end of a thing is always better than the beginning. And I told my congregation, if you look at my life and I'm not winning, there's still time on the clock. Because at the end of the day, the only way we know it's over is that we're on top. And what God is saying to many of you is that your life, here's why God is going to bless you. And here's why when you trust him and you walk in fidelity and connection and you endure the difficult days and you stay steadfast and you still pray and you still fast and you still trust, that here's why you're going to succeed. It's because when you do, the people who watch you struggle. The one who saw that your faith didn't fail in the darkest night will celebrate the glory of God in your life and that fragrance will call them to a place of reconciliation with God. That when they see you persevere, I may have a limp, but I'm still in the parade. I may have wounds, but I'm still in the parade. I may have brokenness, but I'm in the parade. Why? Because though I may have the injuries of this life, I've got the victory of Christ. And it is in that place that God is glorified because people are perceiving it. And I know like you, if you're like me, you walk through days, you're saying, my goodness, it's as if it can't get any worse. And it's like my father would often say, he would say, as soon as you get one thing together, then Jack jumps out the box. And you're, and you're just trying, your head's on a swivel, and it feels like the world is slipping through your fingers. And if in that moment you can stay steadfast, and stay in a place of joy and rejoicing and celebration and focus on the goodness of God and the victory he has won. What happens is people see that. I mean this as no trivialization or disrespect to those walking through difficult seasons, but can I suggest to you that people who look like what they've been through oftentimes do not inspire people to endure. People who carry the garment of, of defeat on them and victimization don't inspire others to contend with the vices and the vicissitudes of life. But people who walk through hell and still give God glory. The ones who walk through darkness and difficulty and still march boldly in the parade saying, even though I can't yet feel it, I know that my God has done it. And one day the manifestation will come 
But I don't wait for that day to celebrate. I rejoice in the Lord right now because I know that his word is true. Those are the ones that people pay attention. And they ask this question, what do they have? <laughs> what, what, what is happening that I don't have? And they are called to a place of connection with the God that helps you to be the person that you are. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray, but I want to pray very specifically. Pastor Rod will pray our closing, I believe. We'll have some time of prayer, but I, I just, if you are walking through a physical ailment right now, if you'd stand to your feet, I want to pray for you. If there's a physical challenge, it can be any condition, I'm not going to make you come to the front, so don't get nervous. I'm not going to, there's no second room. There's no hocus pocus. You know, sometimes you get a little nervous, like, if I stand up, I'm going to go to the back, and then they're going to be throwing oil on me or something. That's not this church. <laughs> it's funny how people are like, okay, well, nah, okay, I'll stand up now. <laughs> I, had to, I had to put the fears away a little bit. But I just believe in the power of prayer. Like, I believe that God still does miracles. In fact, that's our denominational heritage. We were founded with that. Bands in our early church would travel through cities. I read, I read a book by H.M. Uh, Riggle who, uh, called Pioneer Evangelism that talks about the incredible healing power in our church in the early days. And I believe that we hold fast to that, that we're not cessationists. We still believe that the gifts are in operation, and I believe that we can ask God and expect to see manifestations. If you lift, lift your hands, in fact, if you feel comfortable and you're around that person, if you don't mind, just a, if they're comfortable, just a faith touch with them, just to agree with them in prayer. Make sure you get permission. I don't want any problems. Just stretch forth your hand to them. I just want to pray. I just want to pray a really simple prayer and just believe that God is going to do something miraculous in your life. Father, your word is so clear over and over again. The mobile Messiah, the pedestrian preacher, you walked through cities and through towns and you, you laid your hands on people. You spoke to sickness. Lord God, you did amazing things. And so, Father, we, we just come as they did. As a woman with the issue of blood who just convinced herself that simply touching your cloak would transform her life, we bring that type of faith in this moment. And we ask, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit to come and do such a healing work in your people. I pray that the precious Holy Spirit will release divine health, that everything that is unlike God, every condition, Lord God, every malady, Father God, everything that's operating in the blood, in the organs, Father God, in the bones, Father God, any dysfunction, Lord God, we take authority over it now and command it to leave the body of your people. We serve notice on Satan that he is trespassing on private property. That the bodies of these people belong to the Most High God. So we curse sickness. We curse disease. And we release divine health in accordance with Scripture. You said healing was a children's bread. You said by your stripes we are healed. You said you send your word to heal all day. You said it. God, it was your word. We don't stand on our word. We stand on your word. That healing belongs to us. So let it be so. 
Let it be so. Every condition, every heart, every liver, every pancreas, every colon, Father God, every muscle, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come against cancer, hypertension, arthritis, Lord God, every single thing that is unlike God, we cancel it now in the name of Jesus. We release healing in the name of Jesus. Every joint pain, every blood condition, we release healing and believe by faith they are healed in Jesus' name. Lift your voice and give God a shout in here. Come on, open up your mouth and give God praise now. One more thing. I know I'm out of time. One more thing. If you're dealing with a season of anxiety, fear, if you're an emotional, and I know sometimes this can be hard to admit to in certain large spaces because we, we want to appear to be, you know, together. But, but, but say there's, there's been a release of anxiety in the culture. And I just want to pray for peace. If that's you, if you don't mind, would you stand really quickly? I want to pray for you. If you're dealing with any level of anxiety, any level of just, you're just feeling, you know, maybe you're feeling hair heavy, you're burdened, maybe it's a season of sorrow, maybe you're dealing with a season of grief, you lost a loved one, a relationship is broken, I'm not sure what it is, but you're just in a place where you're dealing with a season, it's just, you, just, you, you can't sleep, you can't eat, something's going on, you just feel so much, whatever it is. And for some of us, it might be extreme, for others, it might be mild. doesn't matter. God can deal with all of it. doesn't even matter. Whatever, however, whatever the level is, the scale, doesn't matter. Would you lift your hands really quickly? Father, right now, as a sign of surrender, this is us admitting that we, in and of ourselves, can't handle it. It's just saying, Lord, we just know in our flesh, in, in, our, in, our, in our own minds, we don't have the internal personal capacity. And, and part of our anxiety, Lord, is that we've maybe been involved trying to think it out or work it out or strategize it out or we've just been so consumed, Lord, and we're like the disciples on the boat and the winds and the rains are just overtaking us and the storm on the outside has become the storm on the inside. And Lord God, we're just giving it to you. So God, I pray a special prayer over your people that you would give them the peace that passes all understanding. That you would give them, Lord God, a hope, a faith, that you would help them to rest in you, to trust in you, to turn to you. That you would give them, Lord God, the confidence, Father, that you haven't begun a good work. Lord, you have bound yourself to perform and complete it, and you're the God that finishes so help them not to be focused on what they see. Help them not to trust their senses. Help them not to trust and put their hope or their, their confidence in man, Lord God. We thank you for doctors. We thank you for all of the thinkers, Lord God. Thank you for them. But help us to know that your report is the one that we should believe. And that they are resources, but you are the source. So help us to lean into you, to rest in you, to find comfort and safety in you. And then God, give them community. Give them people that will surround them and undergird them and support them. Lord God, let there be, Father, just a melding together of, of like-minded, hearted people, Lord God, who are pursuing a place in you that cannot be disrupted by Satan. Help them to find peace. The peace you give, God. The peace you give. Not as the world gives it, Lord God. The type of peace that cannot be taken away. Help them to pray. 
to not feel like they have to do a, for, a, a formality or some strategic way, but that they, they can just talk to you and, and emit and emote, Lord God, and pour out, Lord God, and that you're listening. You're the God that can be touched with the feelings of their infirmity. Help them to lean into you. And we give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a praise in here. Hallelujah. Love you, Fairfax.